0: Good morning. It's good to be with you all again and to have the privilege to share God's Word. As I was thinking about what to share and praying about what to share, the Lord impressed upon me the thought of legacy. Legacy. Leaving a godly legacy. A few years ago now, we went to the funeral of my grandfather who passed away at the age of 86. And one of the things my family always does when we get together at times like that is just, cause I've got a very large family, we get, we get together and we just share good times, good memories, good laughs. And our funeral for my grandpa, which it was sad. It was, I mean, everybody missed him and we cried and, but we spent so much time laughing that I thought they were going to kick us out of the place (laughs) because we were telling stories of playing cards and hunting with my grandpa and all kinds of fun stuff. And we were talking about what a good man he was. And, you know, we met people that he knew for 60 years, friends of his who would talk about what a good man he was. And we started talking about stuff like that. What do we leave behind? And one of the things that my grandpa always taught us was work hard, work hard. And it was, it was hilarious. My grandpa was a retired Teamster and he actually retired from two different professions. Um, He was a Teamster before he, he was a truck driver before the Teamsters. And then when the Teamsters started up, he, he joined up because well, most of the time they didn't have a choice, <laughs> but he did join up and he retired. And And I came home one day, I was supposed to be at college and I my class was canceled. And um, I didn't have to work that day because I was working and going to college at the same time. And so I dropped by my grandpa's and said, do you want to play some cards? And he's like, why aren't you at school? So, well, my class was canceled, grandpa. He goes, well, then why aren't you working? <laughs> and I said, well, I don't have to work today. He goes, go find something to do. <laughs> um, and I explained to him that um, my particular job was, you know, you didn't, I didn't have a scheduled shift that day. And so then he played some cards. But it was like, if you weren't, if you weren't working or studying, then he, that's just something he instilled in us. And I came home one day and I said, Grandpa, I got a raise at work. He's like, well, that's good. It's because you work hard. And he goes, that means I get a raise too because by then he was getting his Social Security and his Medicare. And he's like, you got a raise? That means I get a raise. <laughs> he goes, if you don't get paid, I don't get paid. That was one of the things I I loved talking about with my grandpa with that and playing cards. But then I started thinking about it in terms of what we leave behind. And that's something that he instilled in all of us that would listen. And when I, we went to, we've gone to many funerals, too many, I think. In my opinion, but um, and we that's something that always comes up, and you always know the kind of person they were by what they're talking about and what they left behind. And what they left behind. And, you know, we always share Pastor Bailey's stories to this day. We're still reading his books and and sharing stories of our times at Bible school and our times knowing him and and learning from him, and and we still talk about it. And that's something that he instilled in us, and we're passing on. And it's so different from what the world thinks. How do you want to be remembered? And what do you want to be known for? And I think the closer and closer we get to eternity, the more and more we think about that. But the better off, I think we're better off if we think about that as early and as often as possible. I'm in my second act, if you will. Some of you are closing in on the third act, maybe, but I think you still got some good time left. But we need to think about that. How do we want to be remembered? We're working on our legacy every day. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of... Of the sinner is laid up for the just. That's an interesting thought for me. Not just the first part, to be a good man or woman, we're leaving something for not just our children, but for our children's children. Something that's passed on from generation to generation. And the sinner, their wealth is stored up and given to the righteous. That's interesting as well. The sinner, the the ungodly, they get no inheritance. They don't pass on anything. In fact, all of their wealth and all of that time and money they spent on this earth, that's all just gathered up and given to the just. So to me, it makes much more, puts much more emphasis on what we do on this earth and how we're living. And it's not just money. It's not just money. That's the easiest thing to consider. So I just need to mass up all this wealth so I can leave it on to my children. Someone asked the late Martin Luther, who we've all heard of, I'm sure, what he would do if he knew today was his last day on earth. And his surprise shocked me. It shocked me so much that I wrote it down. He says, I would go out and I would plant a tree. I would go out and I would plant a tree. Now, to me, that's that's like <sighs> plant a tree. But the thought was that tree... Will outlive him, will outlive his children, his children's children, and so forth, depending on the tree, of course. But that tree is something that would be he would be known for for all time. And now what he did, of course, was even greater than planting a tree. He planted a spiritual seed and and several several things along the way. However, in the earth. That's not the case. The wicked don't think this way. The ungodly, for the most part, don't think this way. You hear the conversations whenever you turn on sports of who the who the GOAT is. Now, GOAT is an acronym, if you don't know sports, greatest of all time. So anytime you talk about basketball, you think of Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or Going far enough, farther enough back, maybe Will Chamberlain, maybe Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Larry Bird, there we go, Boston guy, of course. But who is the greatest of all time? And depending on your generation, you might have a different say. Somebody says Larry Bird. I say Michael Jordan, even though I'm from Detroit, and that kind of hurts a little bit. But what does it really matter who the greatest of all time is? Now they're talking about the next so-and-so. They're so concerned about being the greatest, being a legend. But what are they passing on? And I've noticed throughout, and this isn't just about sports. It's not just about money. I'm just using examples. But some of those players who were the greatest, considered the greatest of all time, they make the worst coaches. The worst coaches. Because they don't know how to pass what they have on. there's many different reasons for that. Sometimes it's because they were gifted so naturally that they didn't really even have to work at it. They were just great. Um, Sometimes they don't have any patience for passing something on because they worked hard and they don't have any patience for people who don't work hard. And so they just said, forget it. I'm not going to coach them. It depends, but they are so concerned about their legend. They're not worried about passing anything on and teaching others. We see it a lot in the business world as well. The higher up the food chain you go, the longer you work. The more work, 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 work. And I talk to folks a lot. I'm just working all the time. Well, what about your family? I have no time. And even working from home. We're sitting, work, 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 work. What about your family? I don't have time. And, you know, you make a lot of money, but your children don't even know you or are given to be raised by somebody else or you know you have a failed marriage or whatever is it worth it and i know we all know the answer to that of course it's not worth it it's not worth it we don't live to be a le- we don't want to live to be a legend we should live to le- to leave a legacy something that will la- outlast us legend is more about reputation legacy is eternal legend is who we are supposed to be, what you have when you arrive. When you come to a new job, you bring your reputation. It's your resume. It's why they hired you. It's what you're known for. When you come to a new sports team, you bring, well, what happened when Tom Brady came here to the, Patri- to, to the Buccaneers? What did he bring with him? A reputation, a, le- a lifestyle. He brought his entire career of accolades And it immediately elevated our current team. He brought with him his reputation, his work ethic and so forth. Now, it's made in a moment and a reputation can also be lost in a moment, right? (laughs) Our legacy is, or our our reputation is, you know, what's on our tombstone. Here lies so-and-so, he did this, this, and this. But our legacy will outlive us it's what we leave behind it's built on a lifetime of toil experience hard work it's what your children carry on one of the things most people in my family are known for we're known for some good a lot of good things a couple of not so good things but i think we're known for being hard workers We'll work hard and get the job done and we'll do it right. That's something that my grandfather passed on to us. And every time I start a job or do a job, well, this is what, this is just what I was taught to do, to work hard. It's what your children carry on. The world is about here and now, but God is concerned with legacy. It's something transmitted or received from an ancestor. Psalm 103. Verse 17 through 18 says, The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto the children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to them. Passed on the mercy of the Lord, everlasting to everlasting, his righteousness unto his children's children. That's something that I want. That's something that I want, and I know you want as well. Psalm 145, verse 4, One generation shall praise thy works to another and declare mighty acts. The children of Israel, as they were walking and going on their journeys from Egypt to the Promised Land and even beyond the Promised Land, how do you think they learned of Moses? How did they learn of Abraham and Adam Jacob and Isaac, four hundred years later, it's because they were taught by their ancestors, stories passed down from generation to generation. We have Psalms, we have the books that were written down, passed on from, and they were they were sacred, they were holy, and so holy was God's word that the scribes, when they would write it down, they'd have to completely wash themselves and cleanse themselves. Now, that's because it was God's Word and it was holy, but they revered it because this is the legacy of our people. And we're so blessed to have God's Word, to share that and to partake of it, passed down to generation. So what do you want to leave behind? Here are a couple ideas, if you don't already have some. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. That's a good thing to to teach people and to leave behind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Everything that you have with you, within you, everything that you can do, love the Lord, serve the Lord. Teach your children the same. Psalm one nineteen verse eleven says, "I have stored up your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you." Here is another thing: is to share and instill a love for God's word. To talk of God's word constantly, His ways, His character, and to teach others the same. And it's not just your natural children. Many of you here, your children are already grown, and they're on their way. And we can still instill things in our children, even though they're grown. But it's what we're leaving behind to those who are around us as well, your neighbors, your neighborhood, your workers. What are you known for? The the lady in the supermarket who helps you check out your clothes and check out your groceries. How do they know you? Oh, here's that, that really nice guy who's always telling me God bless you. Or there's that angry guy who's always complaining about The thing's not scanning his thing right. (laughs) How are you knowing? We used to go into Starbucks a lot, and they would know us. They'd know my wife and I. Hey, how you doing? They would, here's your, you know, drinks already ready. You're already getting prepared. They know you. They know your face. They know your countenance. Now, they don't do that for the people who are always yelling at them and complaining, right? Now, I'm not saying just go out and be nice because you want free coffee or quick coffee, but... It's how you can influence people. My wife and I don't have children. That's God's choice for us. But we can still, you know, through our church, through, through our interactions with people, we're still leaving a legacy behind. Some other things we can leave behind. Let's look at the Apostle Paul for a moment. He's going to give us a couple of things we can leave behind, and that'll be the remaining focus of this message this morning. Paul was very concerned with his legacy, he was not at all concerned about being a legend. They weren't walking around. You didn't hear Paul say, I'm the greatest apostle of all time, right? <laughs> Even some of the disciples, when they, before Jesus resurrected, were thinking about who's the best, who gets to sit at the right hand, who gets to sit at the left. And God had to, Jesus had to really do a work on those gentlemen before they were ready to, to be where they were. You know, in Acts chapter two, and you know there was a work that needed to be done because that was their concern. Who's the greatest? Who gets to sit at the right hand and the left? A couple of them even got their mommy involved, didn't they? But that had to be refined. That had to be cleaned up, and they were now more concerned with being leaving that legacy. Philippians one twenty-three and twenty-four. This is how concerned. Paul was with what he was leaving behind or what was going to be what was going to remain after he left. He says I am I am straight I'm torn I'm torn between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ which is far better. I think we would all agree with that statement. It's better up in heaven with Jesus than it is here on earth. I don't care how good your life here is on earth. It's better up there. Nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He says, I'm more concerned about you than even I am for myself. Yes, I want to be in heaven with Jesus, but you need me here, which, which is what Paul was saying. He was concerned with what he was leaving behind, preparing the people who were going to remain long after he was gone. I and mean, think about if he would have left when he wanted to, what would we have missed? We might have missed the book of Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Romans, Hebrews. That's a lot. First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. What would we have missed? Would We wouldn't have any of that. And he would have been in heaven and it would have been great for him. And you know, I don't know if anybody could fault him. Sure, go to heaven, <laughs> be with Jesus. That's better. But he says, no, it's better for you that I'm here. And he knew that. He knew that. So much so that he would, 1 Corinthians, if you look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, and I don't know if I have this on the slides, but Paul was able to say, be imitators of me. Do what I do because I'm following Christ. And what was happening here is they were, they were getting lots of conflicting stories. They were having people who were teachers coming in and say, do this or do this or do this. And people were getting confused. And Paul says, no, no, no. Just do what I do because I'm following Christ. And every time I read that verse, I say, oh, man. Could I say that to somebody? Just follow me around and do what I do. Ooh. That's a challenging statement. Just follow me and do what I do because I'm following Christ. If you get confused, if you get lost, forget everything else and do what I'm doing because I'm following Christ. Philippians 4, verse 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. What you have heard, what you have learned, what you have received, and what you have seen in me, do. Woo! Paul was keeping it very real. Everything you've learned, heard, received, and seen, do. Can we say that? Everything you've seen me do? Everything you've heard me say? That's, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I need to allow the Lord to work in me more so that I can say something like that. But Paul was leaving that legacy behind. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, All and the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Paul doesn't just stop and say, everything you've seen me do, do it. He says, do it. And teach others to do it also. Paul knew he wasn't going to be around forever. And he couldn't just say, follow me, because he wasn't going to be around. He says, you learn it, you do it, and then commit it to faithful men and women who will also teach others. That's leaving a legacy behind. That's leaving that legacy behind. Mm -hmm. That's what he was concerned with. That was his focus. So what did he leave behind? Well, lots of things. But let's, I always like, this is a weird thing that I do. When I know, when when someone famous dies or someone dies, I try to find what their last words were, their last recorded words. I don't know why. It's something that's always interested me because I, and I've learned a lot about people by what their last words were. I remember the last words that I spoke to my grandfather before he passed away. Now, he lived several months after the last time I saw him, but I remember his last words to me. And so I always look these up. So let's look at the Apostle Paul's, some of his last words. In 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, he says, or he said, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is hand is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not only to me only, but unto them that also love his appearing." In his last in his last words in his last words Paul said I fought the good fight I finished my course and I've kept the faith He says I'm ready to be offered He didn't go out saying I'm the greatest He didn't go out saying I'm the best there was the best there is and the best there ever will be I'm the greatest of all time. He said, I'm ready to be offered. The crown that's waiting for me is in heaven. It's not here on this earth. He says, I fought the good fight, finished my course, and I've kept the faith. So let's look at fought the good fight. Every day is a battle. Every day is a battle. You hear recovering addicts say it all the time. Today, I'm going to, live through this day and make it through this day, and then I'm going to make it through tomorrow. Every day is a battle. And we know in Ephesians 6.12, and we don't have to read it for time, but it says we don't battle flesh and blood. Thankfully, we don't have to physically fight every day. But it's a spiritual battle. Principalities and powers. And we cannot be casual about spiritual things. We cannot be casual about spiritual things. We must stand as warriors clothed in the armor of God. So we teach and we pass on things like discipline, things like not being casual about spiritual things. I remember uh, someone telling me a story as they were driving uh, with Pastor Bailey, and they were going through this very fancy neighborhood, and there are these beautiful, you know, those million, multi-million dollar homes, just gorgeous. And the the lady who was sharing said, "I just said, you think if we just walked up and knocked on the door, they'd they'd let us walk around and just to see what it looks like inside?" Pastor Bailey goes, "Oh, I don't. The houses in heaven are much prettier and much better. Being, but, but, and he wasn't being." A, I know you know this. He wasn't being obnoxious about it. He was, he was passing that on. I'm more concerned with the eternal home. Yes, those houses are beautiful, and yeah, it would be kind of cool, maybe. But he, it, he was just in that little way imparting how important it is to be focused. And I, all of us who knew him knew that he was like that. And he wasn't being mean about it. He was just that's just it was his focus. It's the way he was, and he wants wanted to impart that in us. The enemies attack the weak. You just have to watch National Geographic and you'll learn that. The predators attack the weak, right? And they attack you where you are the weakest. He doesn't come at you and fight you in your strongest area. He looks for the weakness, and that's where he attacks. So that's what we learn and that's what we pass on to others as well. When we're sharing, when we're mentoring, when we're talking to people, so this, is what, this is how the enemy works. He's evil. He's wicked. He's a snake. He's deceitful. He doesn't attack you face to face. He attacks you when you're weak, helping people to understand what that means. So we have to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, and clothed with the armor of God. And the stronger and the, and the the deeper our walk, the more effective our weapons will be. The Romans, the Spartans, the current military, they don't just sit in the barracks and say, well, we're the best, of, we're the warriors, and then the next day get up and go fight a battle <laughs> I was talking, I was reading an article about the Navy SEALs. I think it was the Navy SEALs, special ops somewhere, the elite of the elite of the elite. And they spend more time in training than they actually do fighting. More time training and rehearsing and drilling and doing all of the procedures, the communication, the movement, the shooting. They spend years, it was six to eight months training for a, three or four week deployment. It was something like that. Don't, don't fact check me, but it was something along those lines before they go on a deployment. Constantly training and drilling, getting strong, so that when there was time came, the, when the pressure was on, it was muscle memory. It was automatic. It was not like, oh, what do I do? It was, it was almost like you're in autopilot because you've trained it and drilled it so often. That's what we pass on to others. Because you don't just know that automatically. No one, I don't think anyone knows that automatically. You have to be in the Word every day. You have to strengthen your spiritual muscles. You don't just go to a bench press, put on 400 pounds, and say, Oh, I hope this works. That's not going to work. You have to train. You have to train. 2 Corinthians 6, and we'll just read verse 7 by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. It's that power that comes through righteousness. Power comes through righteousness, through strengthening, through rehearsing. Psalm 144, verse 1, Blessed be the Lord my strength, who teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. You have to be taught how to do spiritual warfare. You have to be taught. You have to be instructed. It's very interesting. Um, one of the things I was always thankful for was during camp. The I was a counselor in camp, and as Pastor Daniel and Sarah were were leading the camp, and they would always have a senior, couple of senior ministers there as well, and they would always allow us to go and pray with the counselors or with the campers, and I I thought that was great because it taught me a lot of things. And one time I was praying for an individual and we were praying and praying and, and not much was happening. And I was like, what is, I'm doing something wrong. And I immediately was like, I'm doing something wrong. We we're praying. I think we we're praying for him to be filled with the Holy spirit and nothing was happening. I'm like, I'm doing all the right things. But, um, then as one of the senior ministers came up to me, he says, what's going on? I said, well, I don't know. I'm, something's happening. And he took a minute prayed and he's, and he immediately heard from the Lord what, the issue was that needed to be dealt with. And he goes, sometimes it's not that you're doing something wrong. It's that the Lord's trying to do something different. And you need to listen, say, Lord, okay, what's not happening? And I was young and I didn't know any better, but he took the time and he says, you did everything right, but sometimes the Lord is trying to do something different. Instead of focusing on what did I do wrong, say, Lord, what are you trying to do different? That's not happening right now. And I needed to be taught that. I was pretty young, maybe 20, 21. And I didn't have any kind of experience with that. Just the, <laughs> I needed to be taught. So, fighting the good fight. You need to be taught. You also need to be taught Proverbs twenty-four sixteen: For the just man falls seven times and rises up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. You also need to be taught sometimes you lose. Or sometimes you get knocked back a step. It's the righteous man who gets up and keeps going. He doesn't say, oh, woe is me. It's over. This is the end of the line. Just take me now, Lord. He says, no, no. I'm going to keep going. And I remember this verse a lot because we often have mistakes. We often make mistakes. Or Or the Lord is showing us something that needs to be cleaned up or or to deepen our walk and you don't and rather than saying oh woe is me i'm miserable saying lord it's time to pick myself up and keep moving forward amen all right finish the race once you start you have to finish ensure that you're not disqualified or discouraged and quit. Galatians five verse seven says, "You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul is admonishing these Galatian believers and says, "You do. You were doing so well." What happened? Why did you stop hearing the truth? Why did you stop listening? Satan uses many tricks, distractions, good distractions, bad distractions, if they keep us out of the race it's a problem. He uses discouragement, offenses, failures, divisions, divisions between us and God, divisions between us and others, deception. The key is keeping a good conscience and keeping moving forward. Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 2, therefore, since we are surrounded By so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. The thing I want to focus on here is finishing the race. And what is essential when you're running ran a couple of 5Ks in my life. I was in track and field, and you wanted to be as light as possible. Why? Because running is hard. <laughs> it's not fun. And if I had a 50-pound weight on my back, I would not want to run for very far for very long. And there are people who train to do that, but in its simplest form, you want to be as light as possible. So Paul says, Lay aside, take off all of those sins that are weighing you down, all of those depressions and distractions and divisions that are weighing you down and making your race and your running that much harder. Take it off. Don't keep it anymore. This is something we need to leave behind for others as well. You may have learned it, but are we passing that on to others? Finally, Paul says, I kept the faith... To keep or manage or guard, maintain the faith. Many Christians bury their faith like the man with one talent. Don't do anything with it. Don't invest it to see any growth or maturity in it. We must watch over, maintain, pursue God daily. Don't live to please man, live to please God. People concerned with legacy live sacrificially because they're living for something greater than themselves. Paul could have lived any kind of different life. But what did he do? He made tents or fixed tents to get enough to live so that he could spend his life traveling and ministering. So a little bit unfaithfulness. faithfulness. It's no surprise, but... You can't do any of this on yourself, by yourself. You can't leave a legacy by yourself. You can't even do any of these things by yourself. And that's something other people need to know through us. We've lived the life. We've learned these valuable lessons and say, this is what you need to know. Even Paul Paul in Romans 7, and we're not going to read all of it, 7, 14 through 20. He said, sometimes... I don't do what I know I should do. And sometimes what I know I should not do, I do it. In me dwells no good thing. And why is that? Because I'm flesh. We've learned how what it means to feel that way, don't we? What happens when you learn when you feel that way for the first time? You need coaching, you need someone to instruct, and you need God's word, of course. You need Romans 8, 1 through 4. They need to know there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had set you free from the law of sin and death. It's walking according to the Spirit, not to the flesh. That's how we know we can be crucified with Christ. That not I am living, but Christ in me is living. It's my flesh that's taken away. And we learn Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to close with a story when we're on the topic of finishing the race. 1992 Summer Olympics. I believe they were in Barcelona. We're in the 400-meter semifinal, which is one time around the track. doesn't seem that far, but when you're sprinting, it's pretty far. And there's this athlete by the name of Derek Redmond. He's from the United Kingdom. He was in the semifinal and he's on the, about 150 meters in, completely tears his hamstring. And if you watch the video, you can look it up. Falls right to the ground, just goes straight down. But something within him says, I'm going to finish. I'm in the Olympics. And he gets up and he tries to run falls right back down. I mean, with a torn hamstring, there's not much you can do. And he gets up and the agony on his face, it just makes you want to cry when you watch it. And he's limping and struggling. And then, out of nowhere, somebody comes out of the stands and grabs him, puts his arm around him, and they walk through the finish line. You know who that was? It was his dad. His father grabs him, puts his arm around his shoulder, says, "I got you." They finish the race. You can't do it on your own. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is exactly that story. It's not. I'm gonna. I, I. When boxers and fighters put that on their trunks, okay, that's great. Christ's gonna give me the strength to beat another man. That's not. What that verse is all about. The verse is, "Want to put your arm around me and we're going to make it through. We're going to finish the race. Your flesh might want to be a legend, maybe the greatest of all time, but legacy is selfless. Legacy is, I fought the good fight. I finished my course and I've kept the faith. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time In your presence, we thank you for this word and encouragement and we ask that you would help us all to focus not on our own reputation, our own legendary status, although it is important to to have a good reputation and we know that, but Lord, help us be focused on that which is eternal, what we leave behind, the legacy that you've done in us that we can pass on. We Thank you. We just ask that you bless this word to our hearts and be with us the remainder of the day in Jesus' name. God bless you.